Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another show. I'm sure you're asking yourself, so what? So what I'm here? What's this guy got to say? Who cares? Who cares about this guy? He's weird anyway, I think. I've seen his picture on the Internet. He's ugly. He's an ugly person. He's ugly on the inside, too, I bet. That's what I'm guessing anyway. I don't know. What do I know? I'm a liberal, and I don't know. Wait a second. You knew there was something wrong, right? He's not a liberal. He's a conservative. He's a real conservative, I think. I like to think so anyway. I don't know. Who knows if he is or if he isn't? Who knows? So here you go. Collision of Faith and Politics with the Ninja Pastor. I'm entitling this show, How to Lose Again. This is what you've been waiting for all your voting life, How to Win at Losing. The super, super special today. I'm going to teach Ted Cruz supporters how to defeat Donald Trump. Yay! This was a higher dollar show. I'd have actual crowds clapping like the Trump people. But I'm actually going to teach Donald Trump followers how to defeat Ted Cruz. I'm going to teach both sides. I'm going to teach both sides of the Republican field to win. How do you win? What do you win? Hey, you know what else I'm going to talk about? This might be important to you. I'm going to also talk about the truckloads of illegal guns being dumped in the black neighborhoods of cities, those poor, forlorn cities. You know those neighborhoods where they would just be reading books if we didn't have these people from the NRA, these white, unscrupulous gun dealers, and the all-white NRA taking truckloads of guns, illegal guns gotten from the the uh, the gun show loophole. And the Internet, you just buy them on the Internet anyway. No checks. And they take them to these, they would be reading books. <coughs> they would be learning to cook more organically and healthfully. If it weren't for those guns being dumped in their neighborhoods by the truckloads. I know, I was surprised too. Hey, go to the ninjapastor.com. Any prior shows you want to listen to, they're free of George. No charge, no cost, no obligation to you. While we believe in capitalism, we do not sell our stuff except for my book, which is Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. You can buy it on, say it with me, theninjapastor.com. Hello. 
Is it me you're looking for? Nah, nah, just kidding. Uh, my record company won't let me sing anymore. Yeah, you know, they say I'm violating my contract. I don't know. You know how it is. It's capitalism. It's living free. Well, not free, because, man, the record company's got me over a barrel here. Record company, it's not letting me do what I want to do. It's not letting me to be me. You know what I'm saying? I just want to sing, because I'm fabulous. Nah, I'm not fabulous. You know I'm not fabulous. All right, just for fun, just for fun, I'm going to get serious here for a moment. See, that's my serious voice. I just got, I just, I just got that. Ready? I'm going to get serious again. I was serious there for a second, then I stopped being serious. Uh, Now I'm going to be really serious. No kidding. Let me say this. I, uh, I want you to know, I really, 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 really want you to know, there's an awful lot of people right now dealing with flooding. Especially where I'm, uh, where I'm from, the East Coast, along the Lewis, Delaware, Dewey, um, Rehoboth, Bethany, all those places. I'm looking at pictures now. Wow, they are bad. Uh, Ocean City, Maryland, you know, all that area. Really, really bad. Really, really bad. And I and I want you to know that uh you know our prayers are with you. It's it's a tough thing. You might say, "Well, that's what they get for living on the ocean." No, there's people blocks and blocks away that are uh they're just inundated with water. Their whole their whole place. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, blocks. I mean, literally blocks from the water. It's 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 pretty uh it's pretty impressive. Pretty amazing stuff. And I have to say, um, you, you know, it is one of those things. You know, you live along the coast. It's it's a huge, huge risk. Huge risk. Huge risk. So... <clears throat> I just want you to know that we at the show we we care about you. We're we're sorry you're going through this through no fault of your own. Uh it's tough. Definitely tough stuff. Definitely tough stuff. And uh, there's not a lot anybody can really do about it to be cruel, real honest with you. Ah, my son Doyle is bringing me a cup of coffee cuz my throat is so tired and sore. Oh, no, it's tea. I'm sorry, it's special tea. <laughs> Get what I did there with the word special tea? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? It's funny over here. You'd think I was hopped up on cold medicine, wouldn't you? But I'm not. Thank you, Doyle. It's my son, Doyle, everybody. Un, un, uh, everybody used to think that, the, that he was, in fact, Taco Tony. He is not Taco Tony. Uh, by the way, you want to know what I really, really like? I love fish tacos. You ever have these things, fish tacos? I grew up on the shore. We never had fish tacos that I know of. Maybe I did. I don't know. Tacos are really, you know, it's an important thing. But I love them. I love those fish tacos. They're very good. But can you hear my voice? It's been like this for I don't know how long. We're going to, 
we're gonna maybe uh, we're gonna wait a little while longer, and if this continues, we're gonna have to go to the doctor. Have him take a look and see what's wrong. Maybe it's that I talk too much. You think? Could be. Could be. You know why I talk so much? Because I'm fabulous. Ah, <laughs> uh, hello to everybody. Hey, by the way, um, chat. I I have to apologize. They're having a problem. I know this is Yashaka Blog Talk Radio. The platform is having a problem loading chat again. So I'm sorry about that, folks that are avid chat listeners. I really am sorry. I do. I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. I don't know. Hey, by the way, uh, I'm always talking about this. Center for Self-Governance. Let me pull this up over here. Over here on my computer. Uh, combo level four. I'm not sure what combo stands for, but whatever. Um, level four. You ready? If you've taken level three, like me. Uh, the 29th. What is that? This Thursday? Oi. I gotta make preparations. I forgot. Oh, see how you can forget? Good thing I have somebody like me to remind me on the radio. So the collision face on politics. What? So it's at the mansion. It's just called that, the mansion in Camden, Delaware, the middle of Delaware, right smack dab in the middle of Delaware. All you have to do, you got to sign up, by the way, um, level four, it's after level three. <laughs> uh, all you have to do is you just have to go to centerforselfgovernance.com and then click on Delaware under register for classes. Boom, drops down, you can sign up. Big deal, but you better do it today so we can get the books out to you. So if you've completed level three, that's the one. Now, if you've completed level one, uh, combo level two is going to be at Trinity Logistics in Seaford, Delaware. That's southern to southern Delaware. Same website. That's going to be on uh, the 30th, that very next day. Listen, folks, you're you're really, really fortunate. That's um, that's They're both being taught by Mark Herr, my, my good friend Mark Herr. Good, good guy, man. Good, good guy. i got to find out if he's staying with me. Hey, uh, Michelle, if you're listening, is he staying with me? I don't know. I don't know any of the answers. I just know I'm here. But he's welcome to. He's welcome to stay with us. So uh, Mark Herr, the great Mark Herr, he's been on the show um, a couple times, two or three times maybe, and uh, very well received on the uh, the standoff out in Oregon. A phenomenal guy, really phenomenal guy, good friend, uh, but really, really one of the greatest patriots I've ever known. And and easily one of the best teachers I've ever known. What did I take level one like six times? It's not just because I'm stupid. It's also because I'm very interested. So anyway, that's going to be and they're all day by the way. Uh, the level four on the and I'll bring my books there. I'll sign books if you're a level three person, progressing up to level uh, four. I'll take some books and I'll sign them. They'll instantly be worth half. Uh, and then you've you've got the one for level two uh, on the thirtieth. And 8.30 to 4.30, the the um, level four is 9 to 5. Anyway, I digress. You'll hear more about that in a little bit. It's very important. This is important stuff, seriously. Now, some more important stuff, some way more important stuff. I'm here to tell you, folks, you just need to understand that, uh, you know, it, we're free today. For the most part, right? We're free. Do you feel free? Ah, it's 
the hot tea. It's free tea. It's not free because I had to pay for it. But it's tea nonetheless. And it tastes really good. Look. You're free. Nobody is oppressing you for the most part. Because of soldiers, veterans, active duty military, and sadly, the price of freedom, the great, terrible price of freedom. But those who have filled the cemeteries all across America and filled Arlington National Cemetery, their sacrifice. They've left some people behind. Those are called gold star families. We need to be thinking about them. This this show always, always reflects upon it. My left in my left front pocket, I have a coin in my left front pocket that was given to me by another friend of the show, Debbie Lee. She's the mother of Mark Allen Lee, first Navy SEAL killed in Iraq. What we're going to talk about today is is high-stakes stuff because ultimately, especially if you've seen the movie uh, 13 Hours, I haven't seen it yet. You believe that? I haven't seen it. I need to go. But in the movie 13 Hours, it talks about Benghazi. People lost their lives there. Real people, good, decent, real people lost their lives in Benghazi, Libya. And Hillary Clinton, presidential candidate, former Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton... She let four of our people die and many, many more be severely injured. And you know what she did? She looked at families of the dead at the ramp ceremony right in the face. And she said, we're going to get the person that made that video. We're going to arrest them. She knew right then. It wasn't a video. There was nothing to do with a video. High-stake stuff, folks. High-stake stuff. Look, I, I, I'm, you know, as I start off here, I, I'm to just emphasize to you, yeah, Hillary for prison in 2016. Thank you, brother Jerry, from Pennsylvania. Jerry from Pennsylvania, chiming in. And I, again, I'm sorry, the folks in chat. I, I have no control over the platform. I have no idea why it doesn't work. By the way, next week, hey, I just thought of this. Next week, um, we're gonna have the great K. Carl. Kay Carl, you've obviously heard, Google him, Kay Carl, he's awesome, Kay Carl Smith of the Frederick Douglass uh, Republican, unbelievable guy, unbelievable guy, you want to hear a speaker, holy moly. And you know, Kay Carl doesn't know this, I don't think, but uh, Kay Carl and I were in Charlotte, North Carolina together, uh, we were at the Democrat National Convention some years ago, and Kay Carl and I sat in my pickup truck and did a radio interview together, I don't even remember what station it was. I don't know. I don't know who it was. We just—I guess we got a call saying, "Hey, will you guys be on the radio?" And so we did a radio show. It was a national radio show. I just don't remember what it was. I'm so popular. I don't even remember what shows I'm on. Yeah, my my buddy uh, my buddy Philly Bob says uh, as she's lying to the the uh, as she's lying to the families of the deceased, she's she's emailed her family. During the attack and saying, look, it's a terrorist attack. She called it a terrorist attack. Why? You know, we're going to talk a little bit about why isn't she in prison? As you hear, another sip of my tea. It's very good. I know any second now, Philly Bob is going to be sending me pictures of food. 
You know, because I'm sipping tea, talking about how good the tea is. Guess what? I know it's coming. I just know it's coming. To begin today, I, I think it's very, very essential. We've got to emphasize we live in a country with two political parties, more than any other election before. And and really, this is thanks to the phenomenal success of Barack Obama. Look, you you can reel back and say, success, what? Success, Barack Obama, what? Yes, success. Look, this neophyte, he, he's been more successful at undermining the Constitution, quite frankly, the entire United States economy, national security, society and morality than anybody on the left could ever imagine in less than seven years. This is truly astonishing. You know that, right? This is astonishing. He's been a raging success. He was single-handedly responsible. History will remember him as being the one who was single-handedly responsible to destroy our nation's health care. Listen, Hillary herself, the murderer, she couldn't destroy the nation's health care system the way that Hillary tried. She dreamt of this. She only dreamt of this because she couldn't. But I digress. Don't want to go back in the past. Look, more than any election in history, it's essential that the Democrats not win. Look, it comes down to this. I'm going to phrase it like that for you. It is essential that the Democrats not win. You can say, well, I'm not voting for the lesser two evils. By God, I've done that past 100 years. You know why? You know why you've lost the past 150 years? First of all, it's not 150 years. None of you are 150 years old. First of all, stop your line. Hold on. I'm taking another sip here. The manner I get, the more I lose my voice. Man, that's good. That boy could go into making tea as a business. Look, I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, it is essential that the Democrats not win. We, we, You can get mad all you want about the lesser of two evils. You can say, look, hey, I'm tired of it. If, if, this, if uh, so-and-so gets in, I'm not going to vote. I'm staying at home. We'll talk about that more in a minute. We may yell about that more in a minute. Look, it would be lovely, lovely, just so lovely for Republicans to win. Yeah, it would be lovely for Republicans to win. But it is supremely necessary for our freedom and our continued existence. This is not hyperbole, folks. Do you understand what's at stake here? It's not just necessary for our freedom, but it's necessary for our continued existence as a country, the United States of America, that the Democrats lose. Look, I'm saying this to make a point, but it's absolutely true. We will never have the perfect candidate until Yeshua, Jesus Christ himself, runs for office. And I've got a newsflash for you. I'm going to save you time and trouble of taking the class. He's not running. He already is the king. But here on earth, we elect presidents in the United States of America. We only have one candidate, and he's not going to be perfect. He or she is not going to be perfect. But you know what? On, on the right, he's not going to be perfect, and you're going to have to vote for him. Look, I'm a Christian pastor. I, I hold multiple degrees. 
uh, two of the degrees I have, one is a master's in theology uh, from master's uh, graduate school of divinity and a doctorate in divinity in, th- in, ad- in theology, or I have a doctorate in theology. I'm working on a doctorate in divinity. I mean, theology, master's in theology, a master's in theology is, look, you're you're into the Bible. You're a Bible geek. A doctorate in theology means you're worse than a Bible geek. I travel all over the country and I speak and, man, I I write and speak on all aspects of conservative Bible-believing Christianity. And I want to begin by addressing a single issue. Look, you know what's coming. The single-issue litmus test Christian voters who think they have the luxury of not voting for a candidate who is questionable on pro-life issues. Look, you can like it or not. I don't like it. If we were running, let me give you an example. If we were running, I don't know, some putz who was pro-life, just total putz. He's a total putz. No, it's no ends of butts. He's total putz who's pro-life and a, and a candidate who is not pro-life, but on every other area, the boxes are checked. Guess who I'm voting for? I'm voting for the other guy. I'm not voting for the single-issue litmus test that Christian voters all across the country right now are throwing out there. Now, you might say, I've heard you say before, Dr. Sean, the ninja pastor, that uh, if he's not solid on the Second Amendment, you're not voting for him. You're darn right, because there'll be nothing to fight for. Listen, I'm going to explain to you, I'm going to explain to you something. Look how bad they treat us now, and we have guns. How bad do you think they'll treat us if we're unarmed? How bad do you think they're going to treat us if we're unarmed? If we have no way to fight back? Come on, let that settle in a little bit. Let it settle in a little bit. We don't have guns. We can't fight back. It's all changed. Let me let me just say do you understand? I'm going to ask you a question. You, you, you know, you can answer all at once. I wish we had chat up because I know yesterday's chat. By the way, if you want to listen to yesterday's message, uh, it's one hour, commercial free. It's right there at the ninjapastor.com. It's on iTunes. It's posted there now. Also, if, if if you're at Blog Talk Radio right now, it's in the archive shows, and they're free. They're totally free. Peter, the problem with Kefa. It's fun. I think you'd like it. I think you'd like it. We went over 51,000. We we took a 10,000-person jump in listeners so far. I don't I – don't hey, don't ask me why. I, I always can't imagine. I can't believe it when I look at the numbers. I, just, I don't know. I just can't believe it. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with God. It's got everything to do with – there's a hunger out there for somebody that says – What's not politically correct, and that includes what's what's being said about the Bible and living the air quotes Christian life. But you understand that not voting is absolutely a vote for it. Look, in this election, in this election, 
not voting in this specific election, not voting is a vote for the communist approach to right-to-life issues. You hear that? Do you guys hear that? By the way, you're right, Jerry. Hey, you know what's funny is I say in my message last night that uh, Peter is popular. Peter's my favorite. Uh, Kefa, uh, Shimon Kefa is uh, Hebrew, the actual real name for Simon Peter. And Peter is my favorite of the disciples, by the way, the Talmudim. He is popular. But you understand that not voting, you stay at home, you get mad. Ah, I don't like those Trump people. I don't like those Cruz people. They're mean. I don't like that Rubio. I don't like that K- – well, I don't like Kasich. I actually don't like him. I don't like Chris Christie. He's a rhino. I don't think you should talk about people's weight like that, but whatever. Do you know the Chinese approach to life? The right to life? called you don't have one the state in china says and look this is the communist approach it's called required government required infanticide what's that what is the government required infanticide it, look if you have too many kids more than two or you have the wrong gender they kill them you get that right they kill them in the womb, once they're born, doesn't matter to them. They kill them. Hey, you know what? I'm, okay, well, you say, well, I don't know. I don't connect really well with China. I don't know much about China other than everything's made there. And they're buying up our country, but not for nothing. Here's one better, especially, you know, of course, with Hillary Clinton's connections. What is the Sharia law approach to the right-to-life issues? What's Sharia? You know, Sharia is the law that governs. That's why people say, uh, when you say, look, I I don't like Muslims. I don't want Muslims in our government. I don't want Muslims in our country. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't. I don't. You like it or leave it. I did a whole show about it. I don't care if you're offended. So what? I don't want them in our government. I don't want them in our military. I don't want them in any elected office. I don't want them pumping my gas. I don't want them selling me my gas. I don't want them making me food. I don't want any of that. The whole way they live, the whole thing that they, the the way that they judge their life is Sharia law based off the Quran. In the Hadith and and, and the uh, the Undur Asalik or the Reliance of the Traveler. Look, their whole life is run off of those documents and those documents are incompatible with our way of life, with our law. What is the Sharia law approach to right to life? They cut your head off. They douse you with accelerant and they set you on fire. They don't care you have a baby in your belly. Big deal. They're not moved the way you're moved. Stop stop looking at these videos of, of human beings getting their heads cut off or human beings being set on fire or human beings being drowned to death or human beings being thrown off the top of a building to their death 
or being buried up to their, their shoulders with just their head and neck sticking out and being stoned to death. Stop looking at those videos and going, oh my, that's so terrible. These people are monsters. And then the very second thought you have is, oh, yeah, you know, they're, 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 uh, we just need somebody to talk to them. We just need, you know, we just need somebody to talk to them. We just need to have a dialogue, find a way to coexist. You understand this, right? Am I shocking you with this? Look, a little bit later, I, I'm going to tell you, you, you don't think that their Islam is in America? You don't think they're in the government? Representative uh, Andre Carson, convert to Islam. He's appointed to the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. He has extensive ties to Muslim Brothers. You don't think they're here? Come on. You don't think it's in our schools? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under Allah. This is the Arabic rendering of the Pledge of Allegiance in Pine Bush High School in New York. It's going to shock you, but in Irving, Texas, Irving, Texas, first official Sharia law court in the United States. It's a tribunal. Settled civil disputes among the growing Muslim population there. You don't think bad stuff is happening? Just this year, there have been numerous crimes, just in January of this year. How about January of 2015? January 6th, January 7th, January 9th, January 12th, January 13th, January 14th, all of these things. You don't think it's here, it's here. We're inviting them. But it's not racist. Islam is not a race. It's an ideology. It's a way of living. You want to know? You say the you know the, the single issue litmus test people. What about the Sharia law approach? You say well, that'll never happen here. It's happening here now. Wake up. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. A voter cannot afford to wash their hands of this election. You can't say that's it. I wash my hands of you. You can't do it. You can't do it. You understand what I'm saying here. You can't do it. You say, oh, yes, I can, and I will. Look, you can't afford to wash your hands of this election, this one, because of the single lit the litmus test of pro-life. We're just picking pro-life. But you can't do it, Christians. You can't do it. In the same manner that Pilate was accountable even after he washed his hands, so too will you be guilty when we are forced to live under the tyranny of the next Democrat president if you stay home. Do you get where I'm coming from with this? Are you feeling me on this?
Folks, I need you to understand something very, very powerful here. Just like Pilate, Pontius Pilate, just like Pilate, you stay home. You say, you know what? I'm not voting for the lesser of two evils this time. I'm not. Listen, we're going to have to tear it down. You don't know what tearing it down looks like. Some folks have never been in a country where if you don't stand up and go, I'm an American. Can you help me? Of course you're going to help me. I'm an American. Look, in other countries, a lot of other country places I've been, they don't care that you're an American. In fact, what are you, an idiot? You're an American. Shut up already. Get out of here. American. Doesn't mean what it used to mean. It does not mean what it used to mean. I don't, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Princess Bride reference there. You're welcome. Look, you're going to be guilty. You're going to be just like Pilate. You're going to be guilty and accountable because you're going to you're going to usher in a Democrat president. And I'm telling you, we usher in a Democrat president with who is running? Oh, my lands, people. It's all over. It is all over. If all Christians, conversely, if all Christians vote for the Republican candidate, I don't care who he or she is. If they vote for the Republican candidate, we're going to win and our country will at least have the chance to repair some of the damage that's been done. But if we allow a Democrat to be elected, there's no chance. There's no chance. Look, you understand that that um, I, I'm disappointed, too. I'm disappointed that we have a majority in Congress. Congress has been feckless. They've done nothing. They've been egregiously feckless. And you know what? We ought to be on the phones burning up their phone lines. We ought to be at every public meeting they have in their face. Why haven't you done what I sent you there to do? There was a referendum on, on conservatism, and you didn't do it. Let me tell you something. You won't have this opportunity. Democrat gets elected. Our national security and our borders right now, right now, have been so compromised. We live daily. Every day that we live, no matter where you live, I don't care where you live in the United States of America, you ought to be in a state of, of hyper-awareness. You know why they got rid of the color-coding system? We're code red or whatever. We're threat orange. We're threat yellow. They got rid of that. You know why they did? Because we'd always be in the top one if you had any sense. The FBI and the CIA, they can't help you. They're not going to. They're not going to. They don't want to check the Facebook because that would be wrong. That violates some kind of rule. So meanwhile, the uh, the San Bernardino, this chick is posting all kinds of things for years. Every day, every day we live in a state of, of threat. Unless you got your head under a rock. Right now, in a little Sussex County, Delaware, you know, there's only three counties in Delaware. That's where I'm from, the state of Delaware. And I'm specifically from Sussex County. And there's one area code in Sussex County, 302, and there's three counties. That's where I'm from. Every single school in Sussex County, Delaware, over the last two weeks, or last one week, actually, every single school has had bomb threats called in daily. Children have been marched out of schools to stand in fields or sit on buses in 30-degree weather while administrators, with their thumbs up their posteriors, try to figure out, well, what do we do? 
What do we do? Meanwhile, your kids are shivering. Because you know kids today, they don't wear coats. They wear these hoodies. You see these things? These hoodies? And you always see the kids walking. It's the worst possible weather. They got a hoodie on. That's it. And they're all hunched over. Why don't you wear a coat? No, I got my hoodie. <laughs> you know, and they're shaking. Folks, this is a test. And they are watching. Clockboy, Ahmed, Clockboy, a test. You say this idiot is, is going to get rich off this. Yeah, he's no idiot. He's getting rich because his family put him up to it, and the people that are behind him put him up to it. So watch to see how far the Americans have fallen. We're going to send a kid to school with an obvious test of a bomb. A $7 clock that he just, he didn't even take apart the parts. All he did was disconnect it and then stick the parts to a, a box that obviously looks like a bomb. Anybody in their right mind would look at it and say, that's a bomb. Lock this kid up. Get him out of here. Check and make sure he doesn't have any devices. Check the parking lot. Make sure his dad's not in here about to make him a martyr for jihad. You say, well, that's a major overreaction. No. No, it's not. It's not an overreaction. It's the reaction. Well, he didn't blow up. It wasn't a bomb. There was no accelerant. Not this time. Not this time. Sussex County, Delaware, every single school. And the administrators are running around going, well, what do we do? Folks, if you expect teachers and administrators to protect your children, you're a fool. You are a deluded fool. They're not equipped. They're not capable. They're not mentally capable. They're not equipped at all. And you know what? To tell you the truth, they don't want to. They don't want to. This is not something they want. Are you feeling me, folks? Are you hearing me? You know what? This is just the beginning. And it's going to get worse. It's going to get so much worse. And here's the thing. It's going to be everywhere. There's going to be no special place in the United States where there are terrorist attacks. It's not just going to be New York City. It's not just going to be Chicago. It's not going to just be Washington, D.C. It's not going to be those places. It's going to be the Friday night football game or a wrestling tournament. It's going to be at the mall. It's going to be at the workplace. It's going to be at the regional airports. It's going to be at all the schools. What's my point? Elect a Republican. You know, I'm going to remind you that when President Carter, and I use that term loosely, President Carter, feckless, 444 days hostages in, in Iran. Day one of President Ronald Reagan's administration, those hostages were released. Why? Because they knew. We ain't messing with that dude. He will blow us up. He will not just blow up some of us. He'll blow up all of us. He'll turn this place to a parking lot of glass.
Look, there's no question that Ted Cruz would be a great president. I, you, know, you guys know where I stand on him. He's my guy. I like him. I like him. He's a good guy. He's a super good guy. He's brilliant. He's always the smartest guy in the room. You want to learn something, you want to get smarter. Stand next to Ted Cruz and just shut your mouth and listen. He's a smart, smart guy. He's conservative. He truly is conservative. You Look, you read stuff out there, not just from uh, Donald Trump people, but also from other people, from people on the left, from people that are uncommitted, from fence sitters. They just sit there and stir stuff up. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, I know all the stuff about the whole, you know, eligibility and all that stuff. Listen. We'll get to that. There's, but there's no question. Look, I, I, I believe fully and, and completely that Ted Cruz is our best shot. He's our best shot. I think he'd be a great president, honestly. He's brilliant. He's conservative, truly. And he's honest. You can throw a bunch of stuff at me. Well, Goldman Sachs, he's part of the establishment. He's a bank, big banks. His wife worked there. Can't help where your wife works. Yeah, well, they gave him money and loans. Look. I've protected a whole lot of political people. ExecutiveProtectionTeam.com. I've protected an awful lot of very, very high-profile people, some of the highest-profile people in the world, going through elections. And I can tell you, it is a whirlwind. It is a crazy mess. And the Federal Elections Commission has all this stuff that you have to file, and they and, and, and it is, they make it that way on purpose. I'm not absolving him. I don't know what actually happened, but I can tell you this. You can't help where your wife works. Look, I think the Syrian refugee issue, it's an interesting look at the differences between Trump and Cruz for me as a Republican voter. Now, I'm an independent. I'm registered Republican, so I can vote in the primaries, but I'm I'm an actual independent. You say, well, you talk about fence-sitters. No. You know, Zell Miller, you remember Zell Miller? If Zell Miller was running for office in my state, I'd vote for him. He was a registered Democrat. I'd have voted for him. He's a man of principle. He's a Christian. He's an awesome dude. But there's a difference, folks. There's a difference between Trump and Cruz for me as a Republican voter. You know, Donald Trump opens his mouth and he makes headlines. You understand this? This guy is a master. You can throw, look, you can say, I don't like that guy. My own mother, you know, I love her. God bless her. I don't like him. I don't like his mouth. He's got a bad mouth. Well, he does have a bad mouth. He's crude. He uses foul language. Hey, I haven't been a preacher my whole life. You heard the term cuss like a sailor? Come on. I don't like it either. It's not very presidential, air quotes. But that dude makes headlines. He's not paid for a single – I don't think he's paid for any advertising yet. He's paying for his own campaign out of his own pocket. You, As it relates – and we're just talking about the Syrian air quotes, Syrian, because it's not really from Syria. But allegedly, the refugee – air quotes, refugee. They're not really refugees. But you look at that issue alone. Immigration jihad. Friend of the show – uh, Eric Stackelbeck, you know, a great book he wrote. He's been on the show. Immigration Jihad. It's not a Syrian refugee issue. You look at that country, that country's decimated. I hate to tell you, I don't care. I don't care. 
Do I want my people over there dying? For them? No. If these big, bad, tough guys, 18 to 34, military age, incredible physical shape, going over raping everybody, and and not just females, but also males, in in Europe, they're so tough, why don't they go back and fight for their own country? Well, can't do that. So they just leave their women and children to die. Come on, don't be a sucker. Nothing worse than being stupid. Nothing worse than being a sucker. Nothing worse than being naive, unless you're ugly. Nothing worse than being naive, a sucker, and ugly. And poor. Nothing worse than that. But you know Donald Trump, he made headlines. He he had aggressive ideas. He said aggressive things. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I think they're very realistic and they're very necessary. They're common sense ideas. A lot of people say, look, there's no way you can deport all those people. There's no way. There's no way you can lock down the border. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Other countries lock down their border. Their borders are just as big and just as long, just as complex as ours. They lock them down. And you know what? They find somebody sneaking over. Guess what they do to them? They shoot them. Oh, you want to climb a fence? Guess what? You're going to climb up and fall down. You say, Sean, you're supposed to be a pastor. How can you say those things? (laughs) That's what sovereignty is. It's our country. You want to let them liken it to your home? You want to let them just go into your home? What are you, a fool? What are you, a wuss? What are you, wearing uh, um, skinny jeans? You've got to protect your home. That's what your that's what your job is. And Donald Trump had aggressive ideas. The Donald. I don't know if you thought about this, but had they never occurred to anybody else in government? Things like a hold on Muslim immigration until we get our feces together? What are you kidding me? That's never occurred to anybody. Wow, we'll make you president of the world. We'll put you in charge of the United States. We'll put you in charge of everything. Wow. It never occurred to you to lock down immigration? Well, you know, all they have to do is change their clothing, change their look. You know, not all Muslims are brown. What is this, against brown people? Don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. You're a huge idiot, as the Donald would say. Don't be an idiot. You lock down what you can. Some slip through. Guess what you do to them? They climb the fence. They fall down. You find somebody that's snuck in the country, you know. You said, hey, no Muslims. If you come from a predominantly Muslim country, guess what? You can't come. Not until we get our feces together. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. When somebody says something like that, hey, we got to lock this down until our, until our government gets their feces together. That's a leader. That's a leader who is not afraid to say the true things. And you know what? He took the heat. He didn't just take the heat in this country, folks. He took the heat internationally. He didn't just take the heat over here. He didn't just take the heat in New York City or in Chicago or Miami. He took the heat all over the world. Different countries like Canada. Oh, you can't come in here. 
We're not going to let you into Canada. The UK. I'm sorry, we're not going to elect Donald Trump. We're not going to allow him to come here. We're thinking about burning him. Really? Listen, you're you're about two steps away from being a Muslim country, idiot. Donald Trump acted like a leader, and he said things that are true. He took the heat, not just here, but all over the world. And you know what else? He didn't back down or apologize. Trump didn't nuance. God, I hate that. All the nuancing. I talk about that in my book, Excellence Kill the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. It's not just about church. It's about government. It's about how we live in the world. Nuancing. It's lame. It's weak. Here's another term for you, co-opting the vernacular, walk back. He didn't say he misspoke. You know what the real word for misspoke is? Lied. He didn't lie. He didn't walk it back. He didn't back down. In fact, you know what he did? He tripled down. Donald Trump didn't back down. He showed real actionable ideas, real leadership, and no intimidation was accepted by him. He said, hey, you want to run your mouth? You want to say something? What do I care? You're a jerk. You're a loser. You're a huge loser. People say, oh, that's so rude. It's so crude. We're about to lose our country, our freedom, and even our lives. Do you get it? It's time to stop being so soft. It's time to stop being so weak and whining. About your soft little feelings, your butthurt feelings. Oh, somebody said something. I hurt my feelings. I unfriend you. It's not how it works. It's not how any of this works. What about on the other side? What did Ted Cruz do? On December 8th, he joined Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who I like, quite frankly, in, I'm going to just say this, calling for new legislation that would establish a nationwide moratorium on the resettlement of any new Syrian refugees and give governors the explicit right to opt out of receiving new refugees in their state. That sounds great. That sounds solid, right? But nothing's changed. It's an announcement about legal action. It's an announcement about litigation. This president doesn't care about the law. This president doesn't care one whit about your feelings as it relates to the law, because the law used to be, you know what you can't do? You can't legally get married if you're the same sex. He doesn't care. What does he care? He doesn't care. I'm going to talk a little bit later about guns. This man doesn't care about your feelings on the Second Amendment or the Constitution. He spits on the Constitution. He doesn't care. You know what senators do? They legislate. You know what legislation is? Making laws. You know what we have enough of already? Laws. Too many. I support Ted Cruz. Don't don't get me wrong. But you've got you've got people up in Oregon who are standing on the line for freedom. Not just government overreach, but theft of people's land, the killing of their animals. And I must say I'm disappointed. Ted Cruz said, well, the, you know, hey, look, I'm all for this, you know, addressing your grievances and all that. But you know what? You can't take over a building. You can't take over federal government. That's That's tyranny. It's time for tyranny. 
I understand he's running for president. He, he, you know, he doesn't feel like he can say those things. But you know what? Ted Cruz says enough things that are controversial. This would be one more thing. But the whole idea of legislation, we got to do new legislation. We've got to make new laws. The president of the United States doesn't give a rat's behind about your laws. It means nothing to him. Give governors the right to opt out of receiving new refugees? You set up the the National Guard on your borders and you say, oh, no. You, you post them at the airports. You post them at the bus stations. You post them at the borders of your state and you say, no, you're not coming in here. Oh, you want a showdown? Good. Bring your federal troops. Oh, by the way, some of them are our National Guard. Oh, looks like we got a conundrum here. Look, it's it's solid stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it's legal action. It's more court BS, bovine feces, which is actually BS. Look, folks, you see the difference here? Do you, do you, Are you feeling me? I wish we had chat because I get a lot of feedback from chat. I feel like I'm talking to myself. You understand what I'm saying here? One is a bold leader, and the other is a rule follower to some extent. To some extent, you can't exactly call Ted Cruz just a rule follower. You can't lump him into that because I'll tell you what, he has bucked the system. But he's trying to act within the law, the constitutional law. And, and, you know, nobody knows the Constitution in this country better than Ted Cruz. One is a bold leader and the other is a rule follower for the most part and a solid politician. And they're doing things the way they've always been done. Ted Cruz has got to step out. Of that mold. But you know what? He is a sitting senator. There's certain things that he is not allowed to do, not allowed to say. You know why? Because he's on the right. If he's on the left, he can say whatever he wants. My problem is that our current president, he has so denigrated our Constitution. He's so totally degraded our Constitution. And, and quite frankly, our nation's respect for itself, the respect for our nation in the eyes of all the rest of the world. I'll tell you what, I, I, he, this has been so bad, I really believe that we need somebody who isn't afraid to rip things out of the hands of those who are currently in charge and make them right and fair again. You know what? We need a sheepdog. Everybody wants a sheepdog, keep them safe and, and free until they see how the sheepdog does it. The sheepdog bites the neck of the wolves until they choke to death on their own blood, crushes the larynx crushes the throat until it stops flopping and it's dead and it's no longer a threat. The game needs to be played differently now. Why? Because Barack Hussein Obama changed all the rules. Look, I'm not going to kid you. You you guys are sharp. You guys are smart. We have people listening that I know are are huge Donald Trump supporters, and we have people that are listening that are huge Ted Cruz supporters. And we have some that are, believe it or not, Jeb Bush supporters, and I don't know how that could be, but, uh, you know, and uh, Marco Rubio, and we've got some Christie people that listen. We've got, hey, we've got all kinds of people. We've even got some Fiorina people. I'm told Carly Fiorina herself listened. I don't know if that's true or not. I have no way of proving that. I don't know if she did or didn't. But Donald Trump is a businessman. He's made no, he's made no, he he has told you point blank, I'm not a politician. 
And you know what? His his actions over the course of his career, that what that what have they been about? Making money, making successful business deals, leveraging power and influence and getting things done. To some degree, I'm going to tell you that scares me a little bit. Because we do have a system here. We have a system here. We have ways that are supposed to be done. But you know what? It. I hate to say it. It sounds so bad to say it. But folks, if we do what we've always done, we're going to get what we've always got. Donald Trump is a businessman. His actions over the course of his career make successful business deals, which in turn make money, which in turn hire people, which in turn expand his influence, which in turn expand your benefit because you get to work for him. And you get to make money. And you get to pay college bills. And you get to pay off college loans. And you get to... Support your family. But more importantly, gets things done. And it stands to reason that this emphasis will be on, you know, if his campaign, it's going to be, let's look, let's make this country profitable. You say, look, it isn't all about profit. Yes, it is. You know what, people, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, you aren't profitable if you aren't free. You are not profitable if you aren't free. You're not making a profit if you're a prisoner of ISIS. If you're paying just ya, you're 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 not you're not profitable. You're just hoping they don't come to your business or your home and cut your throat next. Look, under Hussein Obama, every aspect of our society has been decimated and it's been made unsuccessful. In fact, American exceptionalism is is a is now it's an embarrassment if you say something like that. It's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment to say the term American exceptionalism. People are embarrassed to say, well, we're the greatest country in the world. You want to live in the best place in the world? You come to America. That's the number one place. But you know what? If you're going to come here, you're going to speak English. You know what else you're going to do? You're going to work. You better have a job and a place to live before you get here. And you know what? You better have been studying English. You know why? Because you speak English here. That's what we do here. You know what poor people can't do? They can't do much for poor people. I never had a poor person sign the front of my check, my paycheck. Never, not one time. Not one time. But I've had plenty of wealthy people do it. My buddy Jerry from Pennsylvania reminds me that wealth is indeed the foundation of charity. It would be my hope that Trump could revitalize something. Something. If Ted Cruz isn't the nominee and and Donald Trump is, you know what? We've got to get behind him because... I believe that he would re- revitalize something. Four years of an emphasis on success. Folks, do you remember what it was like? How many of you were alive? 
How many of you people were alive when Jimmy Carter was our president? You like you you like looking back on that? Then what happened after Carter? Country was in a terrible malaise. Interest rates were unsustainable. Taxes were unsustainable. I give you Ronald Reagan. I happened to serve under President Ronald Reagan in the military. And I'm going to tell you something. As Jerry reminds me, free enterprises raise more people's standard of living than all of the charities combined. Ronald Reagan. He did that for America. Success. We had eight years of success, not without its problems, but it was invigorating. It reinvigorated the United States of America. And you ask, do I believe Ted Cruz is capable and, and is he willing to do this? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Who would, I, who would I more eagerly follow in the battle, Ted Cruz or Donald Trump? The answer is yes. Either one. Which do I like better, Ted Cruz? Far and away, Ted Cruz. I like the guy. He's a good human being. I know people that have known Ted Cruz for 40 years, known him closely and personally for 40 years. I also happen to know, and, they, and listen, they've got nothing but glowing things to say about him, and they're not on his payroll. He's a, he's a man of principle. He's a good, good man. He's a great father and a phenomenal husband. He's a phenomenal constitutionalist. He's an unreal attorney. He fights for the Constitution like nobody else. One of the most successful attorneys presenting at the Supreme Court. He's a guy that does what he says he's going to do, and he doesn't care what it costs him. Do I believe Ted Cruz is capable and willing to do these things? Yes, absolutely. But here's the thing. So can Trump. So can Trump. You know what I happen to know? Trump's head of security. He's been a good friend of mine for a lot of years. He actually worked for me. Phenomenal guy. Sharp guy. And he's been with him for a lot of years. And you know what he tells me? He says, Sean, I've never... He doesn't call me Sean, but I won't tell you what he calls me. But I've never seen a guy more principled than this guy. Yeah. Shocker, right? Number one security guy, nobody spends more time with you than your number one security guy. Nobody's closer. He overhears everything. He says, does he have a foul mouth? Absolutely. Absolutely a foul mouth. Stop being a wuss. Good lands. Stop being offended by that. We're in battle. We're in a battle for our very lives. Stop with your getting butthurt over every daggone thing. You know, I just wish he would stop saying butthurt. I don't know what that means, but it's terrible. Good lands, people. We're at the precipice of disaster. Utter and complete disaster, and you're getting all butthurt over me saying butthurt. You're more offended over that than you are over Barack Hussein Obama or a murderer running for office or a socialist. Feel the bang. Bernie Sanders running for office or a, or a milk toast lying socialist like the former governor and, and mayor O'Malley. Come on. He was an absolute loser as the mayor. And what did the people of Maryland do? They elected him as governor. And he was an absolute loser as a governor. 
And what's he doing? He's running for president. Inarguably, the worst Secretary of State we've ever had. What's she doing? She's running for president. She lost $6 billion. You have no idea. There's yet to find it. While she was at the helm. Oh, let's make her president. I don't know where it all got. I don't know where it all went. Oh, boy, let's make you in charge of the free world. Let's make you the most personal. Cause don't know where it all went. I believe Ted Cruz is capable and willing. Absolutely. I believe Donald Trump is capable and willing. Absolutely. But what happens among the folks on the supposed right, the, suppo- the supposed Republicans? I'll tell you what happens. Trump people bash Cruz. The fluffy, soft conservatives say through their tears, I unfriend you. Cruz people, they bash Trump. The Trump people, like their brash and crude leaders, say, screw you. We're winners. And you know what winners do? Winners win. And you know what non-Trump and Cruz Republicans do? Ones that aren't free, the one of them, they bash both of them. Look at them idiots fight it out. But here's the more important question. What do liberals do? What do liberals do? Liberals sit quietly, vaping, while we set fire to our own homes. How do we do that? Our accelerant is treating each other like jerks. Then what do the liberals do? They get out their non-GMO, fair trade, organic, sustainably farmed marshmallows, their vegan hot dogs, and they roast their sustenance on the fires we set upon our own futures. Worse yet, the future of our country. Oh, you don't think we can ruin it all? Oh, you think that you think that this is this is an unending thing? This run we have called the United States of America, the Stars and Tribes, the Red, White, and Blue. You think there's no way we can wreck it? I give you Rome. I give you the Mayans. I give you Europe. Europe is in flames. And you know what? Europe did it to themselves. You don't think we can wreck it? You got another thing coming. We'll be right back. We will be back with Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, after these short messages. Hey, happy warriors. This is the Ninja Pastor here. Listen, keepers of the republic, people who care about the future of this country, if that's you, and you're not the you that just wants to talk about it, just do Facebook posts, just do Twitter, but, I mean, you really want to do something. You really want to make a difference. You're called a keeper of the republic. Our founders clearly detailed that we, the people, would keep our republic if we participated in our own governance. Self-governance, let me tell you what, requires education, participation, sacrifice, and determination and the belief that you can make a difference. Look, you got to do something, but what is something? As I said, Facebook posts, they won't save the republic. Neither will rallies or voter drives. It goes way deeper. And if you truly want to do something of value that is also effective, the question is, are you willing? Listen, you can go to centerforselfgovernance.com or you can go to facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. There's a link there uh, for the Center of Self-Governance. All you do is click there. While you're there at facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, click on like and sign up, and you'll have all these links uh, immediately available to you. Super, super easy. And I can help arrange courses for you in the Northeast and elsewhere. you got to do it. 
You say, I got to do something. I want to do something. This is the something. This is the something really big. This is the secret sauce. You got to ask yourself some tough questions. Do you really have what it takes? Do you really have what it takes to help save this country? Do you really want to save the country? Have you given up already? Then here's the really, really tough question. Am I worth the blood and treasure already sacrificed for liberty and freedom? Am I worth the acres of crosses in Arlington, Virginia and towns across America? Soldiers who gave everything, committed everything to our freedom. How do you do it? Go to my Facebook page, facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, and then click on the link to this, Center for Self-Governance. It'll be right there. You want to do something? This is your something. Hey, Happy Warriors, this is a Ninja Pastor here. Please, this is very important. If you could, follow and subscribe this show. You know what? My statistics for this show don't count unless you are a subscriber or a follower. Uh, what you do is you go to blogtalkradio.com backslash the Ninja Pastor. And if you use Twitter and Facebook, follow us at the Ninja Pastor. And on Facebook, click on sign up just under my photograph under www.facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Subscribers, you get notifications first of all of our shows anywhere we're appearing, and it's all free. Nobody steals your information. Again, if you could click on follow and subscribe here at www.blogtalkradio.com backslash The Ninja Pastor. If you're on Twitter and Facebook, follow me at The Ninja Pastor. Go to facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Click follow and sign up. Thanks a bunch. Man, I really appreciate it. Way to go. Welcome back to The Collision of Faith and Politics. Here again is Dr. Sean. Hey, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Somebody's actually messaging me. Are there actually non-GMO, fair trade, organic, sustainably farmed marshmallows? Oh, I don't even know what to say to that. I revoke your listening privileges. That's what I do. I'm revoking them. So my dear friend, Andrea Shaking, she's not the one who asked about that. Premier patriot and actual professional radio host. She's, she's like the real deal. I'm just a pretender. She's the real deal. She sent to me an article in a group that I'm, I belong to, uh, an article that she read that thought would be of interest. It's called Eye on the News by Fred Siegel. And it's called The House Divided on the 25th anniversary of Arthur Schlesinger's Disuniting, the Disuniting of America, Liberal Historians' Worst Fears Are Coming to Pass. 25 years ago, and you know, nowadays, nowadays, we don't even remember who who this guy is. I remember who he is, but kids today they don't know who this guy is because he's not taught. He's not taught anymore. Uh, Arthur M. Schlesinger Jr., premier historian of the 20th century, America's liberalism, highbrow courtier to the Kennedys, and gray eminence of the Kennedy would-be successors, published The Disuniting of America, Reflections on a Multicultural Society. The Schlesinger of the 1950s idolized Adelaide Stevenson, whose professional or I'm sorry, professorial demeanor endeared him to academia. Academic expert was, as Schlesinger understood it, the key, Bertiz, the key 
to the American future. But in the wake of the black power movement, feminism, and the anti-enlightenment postmodernism, quota-driven academia in the late 1980s lost its national rationalist moorings. Both lament and warning, the disuniting of America reflected a Schlesinger disconcerted by the rise within overwhelmingly liberal academia of multiculturalism and political correctness, the linked solvents of American identity. Well before the evils of Western achievement were written into the catechism of college courses, cultural pluralism, not white supremacy, had become the American norm. Multiculturalism displaced a hyphenated Americanism, which, you know, this is how it goes, in which we spoke of Italian-Americans, Irish-Americans, and eventually African-Americans as the norm. Pluralism assumed that Americans shared a common identity, even as they retained ancestral attachments. The problem was that supposed multiculturalists were often ethnocentral, ethnocentric separatists. In the manner of the recent National Book Award winner Ty Nehesi Coates, who in Schlesinger's words, see little in the Western heritage other than Western crimes. Their mood was one of divesting Americans of their sinful European heritage and inheritance and seeking redemptive infusions from non-Western cultures. Further, Schlesinger understood that academic debates about what should be taught could be readily translated into the program of the Democratic Party. The self-ghettoizing of black history or women's history, noted respected literary critic Frank Kermode in 1992, presages a more general social fragmentation and endangers the precious ideal of political unity and ethnic diversity. The connection between political correctness and the doctrine of multiculturalism is integral. PC proscribes upon debate. Instead, in class communist fashion, it judges an argument on the basis, an argument on the basis of the interests it serves. Schlesinger clung to a traditional notion of truth. There is surely no no reason for Western civilization to have guilt trips laid upon it by champions of cultures based on despotism, superstition, tribalism, and fanaticism. In this regard, the Afrocentrists are especially absurd. The West needs no lectures on the superiority of those sun people who sustained slavery till Western imperialism abolished it and sustain it to this day in Mauritania and the Sudan. You guys understand. Let me just interrupt myself. You understand. The only place slavery is being uh, legally pushed is in Mauritania and Sudan. This is today. This is happening today. You can have slaves there. Uh, newsflash, they're all black. There's a new kind of slavery that ISIS and Islam is doing, sex slavery and and, and all of those types of slavery. Folks, we're actually going to have an expert on uh, the sexual slavery uh, epidemic, really an epidemic, uh, coming on as soon as she's ready. She's she's doing a lot of speaking and writing and stuff like that right now, but as soon as she's ready, she's going to come on and talk about that. But look, the, the places, the West, us, we, we abolished it. They were fine in Africa. They were fine. Hey, well, this is what we do. We enslave our own people. Why not? Why not? On numerous campuses today, back to the article, the once lionized Schlesinger's words would today be condemned as hate speech. Worse yet, Schlesinger saw the malign consequences of a black nationalism that strives to separate 
African Americans from an increasingly colorblind mainstream. He wanely notes that if some Klegel of the Ku Klux Ku Klux Klan wanted to devise an educational curriculum for the specific purpose of handicapping and disabling black Americans, he would not be likely to come up with anything more diabolically effective than Afrocentrism. Look, this book has its failings. Schlesinger tries too hard to discern a comparable quest for correctness on the right. He fails. Similarly, the, the celebrated historian who had spent much of the, of the late 60s lambasting the white ethnic working class tries to equate the passing revival of heightened ethnic consciousness with black nationalism. He makes much of the 1974 Ethnic Heritage Act, a symbolic piece of legislation with scant consequences. But Schlesinger also reached out for a touch of optimism, reached for a touch of optimism. I believe he wrote that the campaign against common sense would fail, and to buttress his point from the left, he cited my old mentor, Irving Howe, the venerable socialist and storyteller of ideas, to speak on behalf of Western civilization, warts and all. The situation of our universities, I am confident, <coughs> excuse me, Schlesinger writes, will soon write itself once the great silent majority of professors cry, enough, challenging what they know to be voguish blather. Shaken by the right's ability to speak in terms of American commonalities, the left, Schlesinger insisted, cannot base itself on identity groups. For a time, it seemed that Schlesinger's optimism might be justified. The collapse of communism looked to have put to an end the expeditions into utopia. Then, the Clinton presidential years seemed to staunch the drift into academic insanity. Alan Sokol's expose, A Hoax, whereby a physicist's claim to deconstruct gravity was published by Social Text, a postmodernist magazine, which took him as being in earnest. The Sokol caper made the front page of the New York Times. It was hard to see how postmodernists could shake off this fiasco. Further, two of the heroes of postmodernism, Martin Heidegger and Paul DeMond, were exposed as Nazi sympathizers. Articles lamented that postmodernism no longer seemed fresh and innovative. And a few literary critics, most notably Terry Eagleton, distanced themselves from the reigning academic fashion. But there was never a shout of enough from academia, which seemed, on the contrary, to have developed an insatiable appetite for infantile exhibitionism. With few exceptions, faculties had no desire to distance themselves from campus hijinks. The Clinton years proved to be a mere interregnum. It turned out that the collapse of political and economic communism paved the way for cultural Marxism that took hold in the universities. I talk about this in my book. Excellence Kill the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. You can get it at theninjapastor.com. Theninjapastor.com, also on Amazon. They arrived, they, here's the thing, and, and I talk about this, I actually quote this. Collapsing standards in high schools and colleges reinforce one another. Ill-prepared college freshmen increasingly need remedial assistance. They arrived at college equipped with the politically correct attitudes appropriate for what passed as higher education in the humanities and social sciences. They left with their attitudes reinforced. Likewise, academia increasingly marginalized or repelled students with less politically correct views. The 60s-born faculty 
repeatedly replicated itself. Last year, when Brandeis University disinvited as graduation speaker the famed and formidable Ayan Hirsi Ali, an outspoken critic of Muslim suppression of women, not a single faculty member rose to defend her. As the faculty became increasingly uniform in its outlook, power passed to students who were treated as precious consumers. At the same time, academic administrators, now outnumbering the faculty, aimed for a stress-free atmosphere on campus. Colleges across the country replaced their classes on American history with therapy sessions about diversity that demanded not just orthodox thinking, but orthodox speaking and feelings as well. Attempts to upend free speech in order to protect group rights has produced a rash of campus hoaxes. Under pressure from feminist ideologues, a man, explains David Frum, shifted from a demographic category to an accusation. Men accused of rape were denied elementary civil liberties in order to propitiate the gender activists. Civil liberties, wrote Harvard professor Henry Louis Gates, by the way, friend of the president, are regarded as a chief obstacle to civil rights. The call for safe spaces free of challenging arguments, produced a Club Med ambiance. Nursery school-side literary critic Camille Paglia, only half sarcastically, had become the model for college. Students today, Paglia explained, in 2015, are utterly uninformed. And colleges are responsible for the lack of intellectual discourse in America. I've encountered these graduates of Harvard, Yale, and the University of Pennsylvania and Princeton. I've encountered them in the media and the people in their 30s. Some of them, their minds are like jello. They know nothing. They've been trained. They've not been trained in history. They have absolutely no structure to their minds and their emotions are unfixed. The banality of contemporary cultural criticism of academia the absolute collapse of any kind of intellectual discourse in the United States is a result of these colleges, which should have been the best instead of having retracted into caretaking. The whole thing is about approved social positions and a kind of misty love of humanity without any direct knowledge of history or economics or anthropology. In sum, explains former Harvard president Larry Summers, there's a kind of creeping totalitarianism on college campuses. Barack Hussein Obama, product of the PC University, is the most polarizing president since Richard Nixon. Obama has reinforced which side are you on? Hyperpartisanship of the campuses, which is spreading beyond the campus. Ordinary working Americans are bullied by bureaucrats who were, as Glenn Reynolds puts it, credentialized in college without being educated. These preening bureaucrats are the ideal instruments of government overreach. They impose their ideological gen agenda on the, in the name of racial, gender, and environmental equity, not to mention obscure IRS rules. And working Americans are forced to pay for a now vast population of unemployed but subsidized Americans of working age, even as new immigrants, legal and illegal, undercut their wages. Meanwhile, college graduates... Educated in victim studies, weaponize what they've learned and go to work in the aggrievement industry. The rhetoric of multiculturalism feared Schlesinger placed the American Republic in serious trouble. 
Somehow, even as they've spent the last 30 years insisting on the fundamental differences between people, multiculturalists are surprised at the rise of white nationalism that feeds into the support of Donald Trump. Trump replays the extremism of Hussein Obama. Trump and Obama have been drawn into a seesaw dynamic in which each plays off the excesses of the other. Trump speaks to the frustration and anger of the people whose wages have stagnated as government bureaucracy has grown dramatically more intrusive. Trump is a peculiar spokesman for that honor-driven egalitarianism that Walter Russell Meade describes as the Jacksonian America. Our ruling class, writes Angelo Codavella, has created protected classes of Americans defined by race, sex, age, disability, origin, religion, and now homosexuality and perhaps Islam whose members have privileges that outsiders do not. By doing so, they have shattered the principle of equality, the bedrock of the rule of law. Ruling class insiders use these officious classifications to harass their socio-political opponents. Worse yet, Obama's reaction to the San Bernardino terror attack has been largely to bemoan supposed Islamophobia. And folks, there's no need for evidence. All you have to do is claim it. Jim Webb would have been a better spokesman for Jacksonian America. Trump's uh, big city guy. He's a big city guy with a big mouth who made his money from casinos and TV shows, and he went bankrupt twice. His appeal lies in his brashness, his willingness to violate politically correct conventions that are widely despised. It was said in mistaken defense of Joe McCarthy that, unlike the liberals, he at least understood that the communists were our enemies. True enough. True enough, but as Obama understands, liberals dined out for decades on the insanities of McCarthyism. Obama hopes that Trump will serve the same purpose. It's been said of Trump that at least he understands that the southern border needs to be closed, and at least he knows that the Syrian refugees are not, as Obama pontificated, all widows and orphans. Trump, we hear, understands that the deal with Iran boosts Iranian support for terrorism. It's all well and good to suggest in a flight of realism that the Sunnis and Shia should feel free to kill each other. This is what Trump seems not to understand, is that Bashar al-Assad, the Iranian-backed ruler of the Syrian rump state, is the chief recruiter of Sunnis of ISIS. Trump, like McCarthy, gets some things right, but in a matter that will pay dividends to his critics. What rankles most among workaday white Americans is that even as their incomes and their life expectancies decline, even as the protections promised in the 14th Amendment are eviscerated in favor of a new minority in, in favor of new minority carve-outs, they are accused of benefiting from white privilege. The rise of Ferguson's Michael Brown and Baltimore's Freddie Gray, the first a thug, the second a small-time drug dealer, as black icons of white oppression exemplify the perversions of Obama's America. Fifty years after the passage of the Civil Rights Act, a dramatically diminished racism is asked to account for the ongoing infirmities of the in, in, inner-city underclass. Trump is both a reaction to and expression of liberal delusions. Schlesinger's fears have largely come to pass. We've become what we've called what he called a quarrelsome spatter of enclaves. Schlesinger was too much a part of the elite to imagine that the class he always thought of as representing the best of the future would come to be despised by a broad swath of Americans for its incompetence and its ineffectuality. But what Schlesinger saw on the horizon seems to have arrived. With no sign of abating, we are in the midst of a soft 
Civil War. Fred Siegel, he's a city journal, uh, city journal contributing editor and author of The Revolt Against the Masses, How Liberalism Has Undermined the Middle Class, that article I just read. Here's the thing. Here's my take on that. hope I haven't lost you. I have no way of knowing. No way of knowing. Somehow, here's my take. Somehow, even if they spent the last 30 years insisting on the fundamental differences between people, multiculturalists are surprised at the rise of white nationalism that feeds in the support for Donald Trump. Trump replays the extremism of Obama. Trump and Obama have been drawn into a seesaw dynamic in which each plays off the excesses of the other. According to me, this is necessary. We live in a media-based society, soundbite, in-your-face society. Stay home from work sometime. Because I know my people that listen to me are either retired or they work every day. And most of the ones that are retired still work every day. Watch daytime TV. Each hour rolls into the next. Jerry Springer, to Maury, to Oprah. Where the drama of confrontation and human degradation parades before us our entertainment, this is for our edit- entertainment and edification. Trump speaks to the frustration and anger of people whose wages have stagnated as government bureaucracy has grown dramatically more intrusive. It, it, it's done nothing but get bigger. Take a ride through Washington, D.C. sometime. Building after building after building with some crazy, stupid name on it. And you know what those names all mean? You're paying for it. You're paying for it. You know, the article talked about uh, how Trump's a big city guy with a big mouth that made his money from casinos and TV shows went bankrupt twice. Well, that's not entirely true. He's also a guy from a very solid family, and they made their fortune in real estate. It was their family business. And you know what? He didn't just he didn't just stay in that. He went on to master the world of entertainment. Donald Trump. The number one show from nothing. From two words, you're fired. You gotta be kidding me. He did that. He negotiated the best contract NBC has ever given out. Ever given out. Whose contract was that? His own. He's an international businessman who's been able to negotiate and make things happen on a scale that Barack Hussein Obama can only read about. Trump's not a community organizer who found some mentors who thought they could fashion them into something that they could use. Communist mentors. I think his appeal lies in his brashness, his willingness to violate politically correct conventions that are widely despised. I think the guy's got it right. I think the the, the writer of the article, Fred Seals, got it right. I think he's accurate. It's interesting to me that now it's now brash to state the truth without reservation and to call bull feces on people who are clearly lying or stupid. Here's the thing. Here's the thing I'm going to say to you, and and some of you are going to be offended by this. But, you know, I like, I like that Ted Cruz 
calls people liars. I like that he called Mitch McConnell a liar. I like that he called uh, people on his own side a liar. I like that he calls the president a liar. I like that Wilson, during the, the State of the Union, called the president of the United States a liar. Why? Because he's a liar. And I like that Donald Trump calls people liars. And I like that he calls them stupid. Because they're stupid. Millions of Americans are left scratching their heads as we open our doors to terrorists. And we shrink our own economy. And nobody in power in all those big buildings in Washington, D.C. seem to acknowledge that they see the things that we see every day. Nobody in power. It's Orwellian. And finally, somebody's willing to say that the emperor has no clothes, and it's Barack Obama is the emperor. Hillary Clinton, oof, I'm sorry about that image of her with no clothes, but gosh, you can't wash that out of your brain, can you? But finally, somebody's willing to say the emperor has no clothes. Donald Trump's saying, hey, you got no clothes. Ted Cruz, hey, you got no clothes. And you know what? A lot of us regular people were breathing it as a sigh of relief. The rest who've drank too much Kool-Aid or actually communists or protected minority, they cry offense. Why? They're, they're crying offense, right? Because they're in that protected class. They're one of the divided ones. They're one of the ones that just, uh, you know, my goodness. My goodness. We're offended. We're butthurt. We want a safe space zone. You know what's funny is this guy wrote this book. I'm wondering if he read my book as a res research in this article in the in the book that's talked about. I talked about all this stuff in my book, Excellent Skill of the Church, How Mediocrity Destroying America. The rest of these people, they they're they're in. You know, somebody that follows a guy named Bernie Sanders who is an avowed socialist. You know what we used to do to socialists 20 years ago? We used to arrest them. Now we put them on TV. And those others, they're communists. Or they're the protected minorities. And and they, they're the professionally aggrieved. You know, I talked about in the article how it says, well, the, the author of the article talked about the mistaken defense of Joe McCarthy that unlike the liberals, he at least understood that the communists were were the enemies. Look, we know our border needs to be closed. We know that that, that Obama's lying about widows and orphans, but but only Ted Cruz and only only uh, Donald Trump are saying, "Hey, wait a second, you're lying." Only Ted Cruz and only Donald Trump are saying, "Hey, you know what? This Iran deal, this is going to kill a lot of people. It's idiotic." Somebody's got to say these things. Amen? Are you listening? Amen? Somebody's got to say these things. Somebody has got to say the truth. You know, platitudes and and positive self-talk, that's all well and good to make you feel good. But what if it's not true? As the great Jim Rohn, may God rest his soul, said, 
Every day, in every way, I'm getting better. I'm improving. That sounds nice, but what if it's not true? Somebody's got to say the truth. Why? Because they're true. Remember the truth? Do you remember the truth? Remember when we actually looked at problems and acknowledged them and said, hey, this has got to be fixed. Let's fix it. In order to fix a problem, you have to say what it is. In order to fix a problem, you've got to acknowledge there's a problem. You can't fix a problem you don't acknowledge. You cannot change what you don't acknowledge. And in America, you know what? I'm here to tell you, we have a problem. I said this in the article. What rankles most among workaday white Americans is that even as their incomes and life expectancies decline, and even as their protections promised in the 14th Amendment are eviscerated in favor of the new minority carve-outs, they're accused of benefiting from white privilege. I'm tired of being told that I'm somehow white privileged. I don't feel it. I don't feel any white privilege, but we're being told. And you know what it does? Good black people and good white people end up at odds with each other because some of bovine feces that's been foisted upon us to make us weaker. Well, you tell me a, a good white cop and, and six good, good white and black cops can be fired and be put on trial. Michael Brown, the thug criminal in Ferguson, Missouri, and Baltimore's Freddie Gray, drug dealer, whack job. Now they're black icons of white oppression. That's how perverted we become in, in Obama, Hussein Obama's. I mean, come on. Wake the heck up. You know, I brought up Hussein Obama. I'm going to talk about Obama and, and, and your guns, your rights. 2008, I respect the Second Amendment, but local gun bans are okay. He was asked the question, you said recently, I have no intention of taking away folks' guns, but you support the D.C. handgun ban. And you've said that, that, that it's constitutional. How do you reconcile these two positions? This is Hussein Obama. You ready? Because I think I have two conflicting, we have two conflicting traditions in this country. I think it's important for us to recognize that we've got a tradition of handgun ownership and gun ownership generally. And a lot of law-abiding citizens use it for hunting, for sportsmanship, and for protecting their families. We also have a violence on the streets that is a result of illegal handgun usage. And so I think there's nothing wrong with the community saying, hey, we're going to take away these illegal handguns off the streets and cracking down on the various loopholes that exist in terms of background checks for children, the mentally ill. We can have reasonable, thoughtful gun control measure that I think respect the Second Amendment and people's traditions. February 11, 2008, he said that. wasn't ashamed to say it. How about Bittergate in April, February? This was February 2008, now in April. Bittergate. We labeled Obama an elitist when this happened. April 11th produced Bittergate. The Huffington Post website posted an explanation Obama gave at a private fundraiser in San Francisco of the challenges he faced with working-class voters in Pennsylvania and Indiana. It's not surprising that they get bitter, he said, referring to decades of constrained economic opportunities. They cling to guns or religion or antipathy to people who aren't like them or anti-immigrant sentiment or anti-trade sentiment as a way to explain their frustrations. Clinton said the remarks were not reflective of the values and beliefs of Americans. McCain said Obama showed breathtaking elitism. Obama challenged the accusations and noted in response to the 
charge of elitism, that he had been raised by a single mother raised on who relied on food stamps, but conceded he could could not have been he could have been more di- diplomatic. Well, he's a liar. He was raised by his grandparents, who were wealthy. He went to the best of schools. Nobody can find out how he paid for those schools. In 2012, Barack Hussein Obama said this, I believe in the Second Amendment, but not war weapons on the streets. This is what he was asked. In 2008, you stated you wanted to keep AK-47s out of the hands of criminals. This is how Hussein Obama responded. We're a nation that believes in the Second Amendment, and I believe in the Second Amendment. We've got a long tradition of hunting and sportsmen and people who want to make sure they can protect themselves. My belief is, is that we've got is that we have to enforce the laws we've already got. Make sure that we're keeping guns out of the hands of criminals. Those who are mentally ill, we've we've done a much better job in terms of background checks, but we need to do more when it comes to enforcement. But weapons that were designed for soldiers in war theaters don't belong on our streets. Part of it is seeing if we can get assault weapons, get an assault weapons ban reintroduced. But part of it is also looking at other sources of violence. Because frankly, in my hometown of Chicago, there's an awful lot of violence, and they're not using AK-47s. They're using cheap handguns. This was in the second uh, Obama-Romney debate, 2012. Remember that? Here's another thing in 2008. Provide some common sense enforcement on gun licensing. Here's the question that was posed to Barack Hussein Obama. When you were in state Senate, you talked about licensing and registering gun owners. Would you do that as president? Licensing and registering gun owners. Would you do that as president? I don't think that we can get that done. He didn't say no. He said, I don't think that we can get that done. But what we can do is provide some just some common sense enforcement. The efforts by law enforcement to obtain the information required to trace back guns that have been used in crimes to unscrupulous gun dealers. As president, I intend to make that happen. We essentially have two realities. When it comes to guns in this country, you've got a tradition of lawful gun ownership. It's very important for many Americans to be able to hunt, fish, take their kids out, teach them how to shoot. Then you've got the reality of 34 Chicago public school students who get shot down on the streets of Chicago. We can reconcile those two realities by making sure the Second Amendment is respected and that people are able to lawfully own guns, but that we also start cracking down on the kinds of abuses of firearms that we see on the streets. Now, lest you think that that was said in private, in quiet, secret, somebody happened over here, through the wall. No. It was said on national television at the Democratic National Debate, 2008, January 15th, in Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, here you go. I told you in my advertising for today's show, we're going to stop unscrupulous gun dealers from dumping guns in our cities. Here's the question he was asked. How would you address gun violence that continues to be the number one cause of death among African-American men? Well, you know, when the massacre happened at Virginia Tech, I think all of us were grief-stricken and shocked by the carnage. But in, in this year alone in Chicago, we've had 34 public school students gunned down and killed. And for the most part... There has been silence. We know what to do. We've got to enforce the gun laws that are on the books. We've got to make sure that unscrupulous gun dealers aren't loading up vans and dumping guns in our communities because we know they're not made in our communities. There aren't any gun manufacturers here right in the middle of Detroit, but what we also have to do is to make sure that we change our politics 
so that we care just as much about those 30-some children in Chicago who have been shot as we do the children of Virginia Tech. That's a mindset that we have to have in the White House, and we don't have it right now. Let me just tell you – let me oh, – I'm so freaking mad I can't even – do I have any tea left? No. Let me just – I told you I was going to tell you about this, and this is not secret what he said. We've got to make sure that unscrupulous gun dealers aren't loading up vans and dumping guns in our communities, in other words, black communities, in other words, white gun dealers, because we know they're not made in our communities. Look, black people don't make guns. Black people don't sell guns. No, we're just trying to read books and get educated and get healthy. He seems to care when he's in front of a bunch of black people about the 30-some now, it's upwards of 40 and 50, children, black kids in Chicago, and they're not kids in Chicago, they're, they're black males between the age of 17 and 35 who are shooting themselves and shooting each other and shooting up whoever else is in the way over drugs, money, and power. It isn't because they can't get a job at McDonald's. They'd never take that job anyway. It isn't because they haven't been given opportunities or books or food for free or a place to live. They've been given that anyway. It's not because they can't use a cell phone. They've been given that anyway. Free education, free food. Free phone, free internet, everything free. And he says, he ends his statement, we have a mindset that we have to have in the White House, and we don't have it right now. Let me just tell you something. You know why he's comparing Virginia Tech, the Virginia Tech shooting? Because it was mostly white kids that got shot. This was at the 2007 NAACP Presidential Primary Forum, July 12, 2007. He didn't say it secretly. This is all stuff that you could know before the election. Are you listening? Are there actually people loading up vans with guns and dropping them off in the underprivileged, the underserved areas of Chicago and other cities across America? If yes, is it possible? I'm just going to ask you, if this is true, I want to know... Look, if this is true, if we're actually, if this is, if the, if the president of the United States is not a freaking liar full of bovine feces, then help me know something. Help me know something. Come on and help me know something. How do I find those vans? How do I put this on my calendar, the dates and times when they're going to be in these communities? I'm going to follow those vans and I'm going to pick up these free guns. How does somebody not say to him, you're a freaking liar, Barack Hussein Obama? You're a liar. Look, these people he was talking to at the NAACP presidential primary forum, they know he was a liar. They live in those. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. The heads of the NAACP and the, the bigwigs, they don't live in those communities. No. They talk like they do, but guess what? They don't. They live in white communities. They live in white communities. They live in highbrow places. But they talk about it as though they live there. Barack Obama talks about it as though he grew up on the mean streets. He didn't grow up on any mean streets. All these people at this as presidential primary forum knew he was a freaking liar. They knew he was. They knew it. They absolutely knew he was a liar. But you know what? It advances their cause, so let's keep lying. Oh, don't shut the guy up. People are listening. Let him keep lying. Why not? 
We're going to get us some stuff. I just want to know. Somebody give put this calendar event in iCalendar and send it to me. Invite me. I'll accept it. Uh, what day and what time and what community? I will be there with my pickup truck to pick up some of these guns. I will take them off your hands. If I could just get them on my calendar, just send it to me. Copy me. I need to know when those times are so I can get me some free guns. I want to get some. And 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 then and look, this ought to tell you. This ought to tell you what an idiot the man was. Look, the people that voted for him, how they could not know what a what a what a just a raging idiot this man was and is. Is how does an unscrupulous gun dealer make money doing this? Doesn't say that he sold the guns. Says that the vans. We got to make sure that that unscrupulous gun dealers aren't loading up vans and dumping guns in our communities. It's a non sequitur. It's a non starter. It's not happening. You know what we know is going into vans and coming to the communities? Food that's paid for by somebody else. Books that are paid for by somebody else. Clothes that are paid for by somebody else. Heating fuel that's paid for by somebody else. Obama phones paid for by somebody else. That's what we know is being dropped off there. Not guns. Not van loads of guns. I don't know who else listens here. I know many of you do. Uh, many of you do have, uh, you, you do concealed carry. I'm a big fan. You know that, of course. I've carried professionally since 1983. I'm a big fan of concealed carry. Nine, in, in 2007, Obama voted for a bill in the Illinois Senate. This is a public bill, okay? This was not a secret. Voted for a bill in the Illinois Senate that allowed retired law enforcement officers to carry concealed weapons. If there was any issue on which Obama rarely deviated, it's gun control. He was the most strident candidate when it came to enforcing enforcing and expanding gun control laws. So this vote jumped out as inconsistent. So when he was queried about the vote, he said, I didn't find that vote surprising. I am consistently on record and will continue to be on record as opposing concealed carry. This was a narrow exception in which exceptional circumstances where a retired police officer might find himself vulnerable as a consequence of the work he has previously done and has been trained extensively in the proper use of firearms. It wasn't until a few weeks later that another theory came forward about the uncharacteristic vote. Obama was battling with his GOP opponent to win the endorsement of the Fraternal Order of Police. You didn't, you didn't miss that, did you? Folks, you didn't miss that, did you? You see, he comes out with this vote as he is working to get, instead of the GOP opponent, he's trying to get the endorsement of the Fraternal Order of Police. Oh, I'm pro-gun. In fact, I'm so pro-gun, I'm going to give uh, national licensing to a retired police officer. You can carry your gun concealed. No problem. All you got to do is do annual training. You're good to go. I have lots of retired police officer friends that take advantage of it. Here's the scarier thing. Robert Gell wrote an article. Well, we're running out of time. We're out of time. On the eve of of his executive action on guns, only 2% of Americans care. 
a new Gallup poll that shows guns and gun control ranked 19th out of their top 23 problems facing the country. Only 2% said it was their most important. Here's the thing. You know when they're going to take away guns? When you're not looking. When you're not looking. Look, I have said a lot today. This show was very, very full of very powerful stuff. Every bit of it true. Do you understand something here? Folks, you keep fighting back and forth. People who are pro-Trump fighting against the Cruz people. Cruz people fighting against the... Look, while you're doing that, Rome is burning. And the leftists are sitting there roasting their non-GMO, fair trade, organic, vegan hot dogs on our burning liberty and freedom. You think Obama's anti-gun? Try Hillary Clinton. Try Martin O'Malley. Try, try Bernie Sanders. I got a newsflash, folks. It's not important to you because you're worried about your job. You're worried about paying your bills. you got to stop fighting with each other. I told you that I was going to teach you how Donald Trump can defeat Ted Cruz. Keep yelling. Keep keep saying stuff. Keep doing stuff. Have all the Trump supporters defriending their Cruz friends. You know what's going to happen? One of the two is going to be nominated as our nominee. One of the two. It's one of them. Then what happens? I'll tell you what happens. The people that were disenfranchised, the people that took their toys and went home, said, that's it, I'm not voting for that guy. I've gotten a fight with my friends, my brother, my sister, whoever. I'm not voting for him. Screw you. I never liked you anyway. Guess what happens? They don't vote. I promise you I teach you how Donald Trump defeats Ted Cruz and how Ted Cruz defeats Donald Trump. I told you, how do you win and what do you win? Here's what you win. Keep on fighting. That's how you win. Keep on fighting each other. Keep on being ignorant to each other. Keep on claiming stupid crap that's not even true. For Pete's sake, both sides, stop posting stuff on Facebook and Twitter and all those places. you got to research stuff. What do you win? You win the Democratic nomination, whoever it is. As president, you usher them in. It's your fault. It rests on you. We allow a president or a, or a, a candidate for president to out-and-out out lie. Barack Obama lied. He says there's vans going through neighborhoods in Chicago dropping off guns. Van loads of guns. Trust me, if there were van loads of guns being dropped off, I'd know about it. And I'd have a seriously awesome gun collection. For a lot less money. Nobody called them on it. The two people that are the front runners, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, call people liars when they're liars. I think I think Ted Cruz could actually double down. 
even more, get a little rougher, get a little tougher, get a little grittier. But he's a gentleman. Donald Trump, he's an in-your-face New York billionaire. I'm going to tell you a little something else. If it looks like Hillary Clinton's going to get indicted and have to drop out of the race or develop some sort of health problem, Bloomberg's going to come in with his billions, and it's going to be New York billionaire against New York billionaire. And if you sit on the sidelines, Bloomberg, the left, is going to be elected. Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders going to be elected. And you cannot wash your hand of the bloodbath that will come. Thank you for joining us. God bless America. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at the ninja pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www. DrSeanGreener.com In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight. <laughs>